Welcome to church. So glad you're here. And uh, excited about this weekend. Let me take a moment and just look in the camera and say hello to our other locations today. First of all, for all of you who are joining us online, our JFAM online, we're very glad that you're along for the ride. And then to everyone at our Hokesson location today, so proud of you and love all of you so much. Newark, will you help me give it up? Show some love for everyone at every location. And uh, we call our region Journey City, a 30-mile radius around our broadcast location. And it's, it's just so cool to see what God is doing throughout our region. I'm very, very glad that all of you are a part of it. We are in the final week of a series that we've called Upside Down. So if you're joining us for the first time, here's what we've been talking about. The part each of us plays in God's plan to change the world. And if that feels like a lot, if you're like, man, I just kind of came to church for the first time, or I had a rough week, or I'm not sure I'm part of anybody's plan to change the world, I hear you. It can seem intimidating at times, but the truth is, God does have a purpose for your life beyond you. And he has great things in store for each of us, but he also has great things in store that he wants to do through each of us. And so week one, we talked about the power of faith habits and how there are certain habits that God calls us to that, that don't always feel necessarily good or fulfilling in the moment, but if we'll go through the motions, eventually we'll grow through the motions. Sometimes God's doing a work that we can't even see when we just practice something the Bible would call faithfulness. And then last week we saw that finding Jesus leads to joy. There is no joy like the joy that comes from knowing we have a real relationship with God and knowing that that we've been forgiven, that our future is secure in God's hands, and that when we experience joy, that leads to generosity. We have a desire to give our lives away, and generosity turns the world right side up. So as we wrap up the series today, I want to do a quick poll, all right? How many of us, by a show of hands, have ever done anything dumb because we didn't know better? Just quick show of hands, quick show of hands. All right, no shame in your game, all right? Okay, Sin, come on, you know. That's you online, let us know. You're like, I'm so glad I'm watching alone. I can just shoot my hand up, both hands. And if you've ever done anything dumb because you didn't know better, me too. I'll give you just a few examples, but there's a long list. We don't have time. Uh, but I have driven the wrong way down a one-way street because I didn't see the sign. Anybody else ever done that? Just sheer chaos and terror for everyone involved. Uh, nearly flooded our bathroom uh, a few months ago, our upstairs bathroom, because I didn't, I didn't know that that little rubber gasket was not an optional part of the plumbing, and so now, now I know. Uh, almost fed our dog chocolate, because I didn't know dogs are, are not supposed to eat chocolate. Some of you, that's, that may be the only thing you get out of today, but it's going to help you. So I almost, I was like, I'm enjoying this chocolate. I'm sure our dog would enjoy some chocolate, and someone in our family was like, oh, and I didn't feed the dog chocolate. Thankfully, happy to report we still have a dog. So I, these are dumb things I have done because I didn't know. And what I'm grateful for is the, the reality that we can laugh about dumb stuff that we've done because we didn't know any better, right? We didn't know. I mean, it's, it's, we shouldn't kind of wallow in that. We just, we didn't know. It's the stuff I do that's not smart that I, when I do know better, that's harder to laugh off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, not nearly as many hands went up, but so for example, like the time I drove down a one-way street, even though I did see the sign, but I just felt like it was an appropriate shortcut. Just, you know, that cannot laugh that off quite as easily as you try to explain that to the officer involved. And so 
It's dumb stuff I've done when I, when I did know better. So wherever you are spiritually, and here's what I know some of you, again, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're just kind of checking out the church thing, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a few weeks or months or maybe many years, I wonder if you've ever felt like you just didn't know how to act as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus. You ever had a moment like that? Like, I'm, I just don't know. Am I supposed to be bold in this situation or am I supposed to stay quiet? Should I be as successful as I can be in life, in my career, in my education, or should I throttle back my ambition? Would Jesus choose this tattoo or this Netflix show? I don't know. You know, just like, I'm not sure. And I think that's okay. I really do. I think we need to have grace toward the steps that we haven't taken yet in our spiritual journey, wherever we are. We need to have grace toward the steps we haven't taken yet because we honestly just don't know that we need to take them. But I think the flip side is also true that we should probably get honest about some steps that we haven't taken yet, even though we do know. And we all have those. You have some, I have some in my life where I'm just kind of wrestling with, I know what to do and I'm leaning into the struggle and the, and the, the process of trying to grow spiritually and submit my life to what God has for me. So the question today is how should followers of Jesus Act. And whether you consider yourself one or, or, again, you're just curious about it, how should we act? It's a great question. And I want to share with you one particular lens that, that helps us determine in any given situation how we should act. So here's what we read in the book of Luke in the New Testament of the Bible. And this, just to give you some context, is toward the end of Jesus' life, his time on earth. And Luke writes this. He says, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, and I'll explain that in a moment, this whole kind of what's going on here, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, two of his disciples, his closest friends, ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. So if you're new to the Bible and new to uh, what Luke is talking about here, Jesus and his first followers were all Jewish, okay? It wasn't until later that the message of Jesus spread to every ethnicity, every race, every religious background. So even though his disciples had very diverse stories in their life and backgrounds and circumstances, they all shared a Jewish faith in common. So they knew what this was. This was one of their important festivals or feasts called Passover. It was a, it was a pivotal part of their Jewish faith. And what it was, was a commemoration of something that happened for God's people thousands of years before called the Exodus. In fact, you can read about it in a book called the Exodus in the Old Testament. And what happened is that God's people had been enslaved in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. They were oppressed, they were being treated unjustly, and they had cried out to God for help. And so God rescued his people. And the night before the Exodus, when God rescued his people from the, the Egyptian people who were enslaving them, every Jewish family took a lamb from their flocks. Most of them were farmers and shepherds, and so they took a lamb from their flocks. They killed the lamb. They made a meal out of it, but they took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doors of their homes. Now, if that sounds intense, welcome to the Old Testament, all right? It was a it really was a, a dark and heavy night. God was about to move through the land of Egypt. It was the last the last straw, he had tried to persuade the people of Egypt to let his people go. They wouldn't listen. He was going to take the life of the firstborn sons of the Egyptian people. It had gotten to that point. 
And so the Jewish people put blood on the doors of their home to show that they believed that God was about to rescue them and to identify themselves as God's people. That's important, and I know that's a lot, but it's important to understand what's going on here because Jesus and his friends are about to celebrate this. So if you can think of some of the holidays we're even beginning uh, to celebrate here in the next few weeks, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, some of them may have had deep, significant meanings at one point. They've become a little bit normal to us. Well, this goes even to the next level. And so they're going to celebrate the memory of what God did for his people, but the disciples don't know that this is any different than any other Passover feast. And so Jesus sends them ahead to prepare uh, for this group of friends to enjoy this meal, to, to enjoy this holiday together and to remember what God did thousands of years before, but they don't know that that same night Jesus is going to be arrested. The next day he's going to go to the cross. So think about it, like the night before the Exodus, right, what this Passover feast symbolizes. The next day he's going to go to the cross for our freedom. There's a lot going on here, but the disciples don't know. And so he sends Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal for their group, which they do. And Luke writes that when the time came, when it came time to enjoy this meal together, Jesus and the apostles, the disciples, his close friends, sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to come to my J group this week. Uh, which is, if you're new here, it's kind of how we do life throughout the week, small groups of people. And that, that really is what Jesus is doing. He's got 12 of his friends around him. He says, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal. They don't know why. For them, it's just another Passover. But he says, I've been very eager to eat this meal with you before my suffering begins. Can you think of any important meals in your life? Maybe, maybe meals that had a lot of significance, like a birthday dinner or a meal you had with friends or family where an announcement was made or a moment was shared. Maybe some of you proposed at a meal at a nice restaurant and and you just will forever be stuck in your memory. Whether she said yes or no, you will always remember that meal, you know. It's, it's just like it's an important meal. I've had some meals with people close to me that just stick out, not just because of the food we ate, but because of something that happened. There's something about, you know, eating together, letting down our guard, and just being together. I, I can think of uh, someone in my life, a friend who passed away, and I remember the last meal I shared with them. I didn't know it would be the last meal. Again, some of us are going to have some Thanksgiving meals or Christmas meals in the, in the weeks to come, and those will be important meals. And Jesus says, I've really been looking forward to this. He knows why. It's his last meal that he's going to share with them before he goes to the cross, but they don't know that. And there's a moment in the meal when Jesus does something significant. He holds up bread and he holds up wine. And he, as part of the meal, and he says, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And this wine represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. I'm going to rescue you from your spiritual slavery, your spiritual Egypt, by becoming the lamb. And so I'm going to lay down my life to make you right with God. I'm going to pay the price for humanity's sin so that you can come into real relationship with God. And we still, if you're new to Christianity, we still recreate this moment all of these years later through something we call communion, where we take some bread or it could be some crackers, whatever it is. What it actually is is not important. It's what it symbolizes. We take wine or juice or whatever it may be, and we eat and we drink and we remember what Jesus did for us. And in this community of faith, we do that in what we call J groups, in small groups, because that's the way Jesus 
uh, did that. If you read about the first believers, the first followers of Jesus, they did it from house to house in small groups. And it's a powerful moment, okay? So everybody with me? This meal is rich with significance. Jesus is with his closest friends. He's about to go to the cross. I mean, he's holding up bread and wine, my body, my blood. I mean, this could not be any more important a meal. And then this happens. They begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Say, what? I mean, this night is full of significance. They're with the leader and Lord of their lives, the king of the universe, Jesus. He's telling them, I'm about to lay down my life for you. Talk about missing the moment. They're like, okay, he's going to lay down his life for us. Everything's going to get good. I bet I will have the most TikTok followers. Like, what are we talking about? They start arguing among themselves about who will be the greatest. I mean, think about it. If you're Jesus, aren't you pretty disappointed in this moment? Can we all, I know you may feel like, well, I don't want to say anything bad about the disciples. You know, we're in church. Can we just agree? I give you permission. This is dumb. This is missing the moment. This is not smart at all. They're just completely not catching What's going on? Jesus must be so disappointed, and yet he realizes something that he also realizes about us, that his disciples don't know yet how they're supposed to act, the lens they're supposed to view their lives through, the priority that's supposed to loom over all other priorities in their lives. They don't know yet, and so he told them. He said, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, but among you, he's talking to all of us who believe in him, among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. So he's turning everything upside down. And with those words, Jesus strips away all of their excuses for how selfish and proud and nearsighted and petty they are behaving because now they know. He says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to set you free from your Egypt, from your spiritual slavery. I'm going to give you freedom. You don't have to pay for it. It's a free gift. Going to lay down my body, going to pour out my blood so that you can have a relationship with God. And when I do that, you're going to begin to live very differently. So how should followers of Jesus act? And this is important because some of you are like, okay, I know what a Christian is. It's someone with strong political views. No, apparently that is not what sets us apart when it comes to our everyday behaviors. I know what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who does all their sins in private. No, that is not what sets us apart from this world around us. Here's the truth, among us, it's different. You say, how is it different? The greatest are the ones who serve. It's upside down. It's not a little different from the world. It's not a slight variation on the theme. It's not just a little twist. It's upside down. It's a totally different perspective and approach to life. It's Jesus is not saying, hey, you're on the right track, but just tweak it a little bit. He's saying, you are driving the wrong way down a one-way street. And I get it, you didn't know, but I'm telling you, this is what life is going to be like for you now. So two things. Number one, 
If you don't believe in Jesus yet, if you would say, I'm not sure I believe he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did, then you can take a pass on this because he is talking to people who believe in him and he's talking to us about how we're gonna act and how we're gonna live. And then number two, for all of us who do believe in Jesus, it's important to understand what he's not saying because I think religion and Christianity has gotten this wrong. That at times we've misunderstood. Jesus is not saying that there won't be some of us who, who are smarter or bolder or more talented or more wealthy or more successful than others. He is not saying, hey, the reality is when it comes to what you produce in life, the gifts that you have, what you're able to do, everybody's the same. He's not saying that. It might be easier if he was because it would take some responsibility off some of us. But he's not saying that. Instead, he's saying something much more radical. He's saying that there will be some of us who become smarter or bolder or more talented or more wealthy or more successful or more, have more opportunity, whatever the case may be. And for all of us who experience that at any level, the more we receive in that area and the more we're able to accomplish and the more gifted we become or successful we become, the more of a servant we should become, which is not what this world says. This world says, listen, if you, if you gain an advantage in this world, use it for yourself. Jesus says, no, it's exactly the opposite. Those who grasp after recognition and an advantage for their own sake might be winners in this world, but they are losers in Jesus' eyes. And those who lay down their lives and leverage what they have and who they are for the benefit of others may for a time appear to be losers in this world, but they are winners in Jesus' eyes. It's upside down, everybody. It's not like a little twist, like, hey, you know, be successful, throw in a little Jesus an hour a week. No. It's a completely different way of viewing our lives. So what does this mean to us? Well, everything just got turned upside down. If we're going to follow Jesus, everything gets flipped. So did you get promoted? The world says your reputation just increased. Jesus says your responsibility just increased. Did you get a raise? The world says, well, this will up your standard of living. Jesus says this should up your standard of giving. It's upside down. Did you get recognized? Did you make the dean's list? Were you named captain? Did you land the sale? The world says you've got bragging rights. Jesus says, no, you've got a difference to make. You've got an opportunity to leverage what you have for the benefit of others. Are you athletic? Are you attractive? Are you articulate? Are you accomplished? How humbling that should be. As a follower of Jesus to say, I've been given these things. I have these gifts. I have these abilities. I have these resources. I have what I have for the sake of people around me. And if you would say today, well, I'm not those things. I don't have any of those opportunities. Well, Jesus would say, whatever you have is an opportunity to serve. It's a different way of viewing our lives. Now, listen to what he says next. Who is more important? Spoiler alert, trick question. The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Now, that might not make a lot of sense to us. You know, we might think, well, you know, if I go to a restaurant, I may sit at the table and someone may serve me, but they actually might have an advantage over me. This is just their job that they do. But in this culture, it was very clear. If you sat at the table, you were important. If you served the table, you weren't important. And so Jesus says, who's more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who serves or the one who sits at the table. Of course, that's the way it works in this world, but not here. Jesus says, no, here it's upside down. For I am among you as one who serves. So he's saying, I'm challenging you to answer something. I didn't come to sit at the table. I came to serve. 
Who's more important than me? And the right answer is nobody. And so he's saying if I, the most important human being that's ever walked this earth, am at this table with you holding up bread and wine and telling you I'm about to go willingly offer my body and my blood for your benefit, then how should you live your lives? And he's been trying to show them this all day. Actually, he's been trying to show them this for three years, but he's especially been trying to show them this all day. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember how the day started? He sent two of his disciples, Peter and John, to prepare a meal for the rest of the group. Why? Because in the next few weeks and months, Peter and John will become the most famous and important of all the disciples. So how does he have them start their day? Serving. He's like, I, I have to get this in you or the movement I came to start will not thrive. That the greatest among you are the ones who serve. See, among us, it's different. Now, it's not always necessarily different among religions. And it's not always necessarily different among people who claim to be Christians. But among real followers of Jesus, it's different. The greatest are the ones who serve. It's upside down. And again, Jesus is not scolding successful people here. He's empowering them. Some of you are very successful. You're skilled business uh, leaders. You're, you have influence in the community. You make good money. You, you have abilities. You have gifts. You have talents. You have a reputation. You've worked hard to earn. And maybe you think that none of that is relevant to your faith. But the truth is, Jesus isn't telling his disciples, hey, simmer down, boys, you're not all that great. No, he's saying some of you will be great. Some of you will change the world. Some of you will write books that people still read 2,000 years later and consider the word of God. Some of you are going to turn the world upside down. So here's what I want you to do with your greatness. Use it to serve. Use it to serve. And if you ever start to think that acting like a servant is beneath you, watch me do it. Jesus is saying, I'm modeling for you. Read the book of John in the New Testament, the same meal. He took a bowl of water and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. He said, I'm modeling this for you. And what I love is so many of you who are a part of this community of faith, you are living this out. You get it. And you're living lives of generosity. You're serving. Why? Because it's how Christians act. We serve. Among us, it's different, and it's turning the world upside down. I love this. Aubrey is a young adult who joined our Journey Leadership Institute residency last summer. So Journey Leadership Institute for us is how we develop leaders here for ministry and marketplace. And uh, we pour into leaders in different environments, and one of those is our summer residency. So uh, she's a young adult. She invested her summer leaving here with no paycheck. And she said this afterward, before I joined the residency, I was just a churchgoer. I came with my family, usually late, and left right afterward. I didn't stop and talk to people. I walked in and then out. But after joining the residency, I became part of something. I belonged to a family. I met some of my best friends serving. I grew as a person, a leader, and a Christian. Not only was it fun, but I always left feeling encouraged and on fire for Christ. 
Now I'm a group leader and a team leader, and I've made so many friends going the same direction as me. Why? Because among us is different. It's different. It's just, it's completely different. And that's why we have what we call the J team here, a family of people who serve in so many ways, hundreds of you at all of our locations, New Ark, Hocus, and online, you serve front and center, you serve behind the scenes, you serve in kids and worship and production and opening doors and outreaches to the community and you, you serve and I love our J team, I love you. I feel like Aubrey does, you're family. And there isn't, there's like a bond, there's like this thing that just kinda you catch each other's eye when you're serving and you're like, this is what we're called to do, this is what we were made for. And I love it and for any of you who are who are not yet serving on the J team again at any location, I want that for you. I don't want that from you. I made a decision when we started our church that we would never use people to grow our church. We would use our church to grow people. And that's what it's all about. But I also wanna tell you that our J team is really just a starting point. It was never intended to be the sum of a life of serving. Well, I checked that box. I served. I was very generous. Like the idea was not that you would serve for an hour or two or three or five or whatever it is in a week, and then the other 165 to 167 hours would just be selfish. <laughs> that was never the plan. The whole idea was that serving here would be like Jesus sending Peter and John ahead to serve that it would prepare you for the greatness God has for you in the rest of your life. That it would prepare you to become someone who serves in your family, who serves in your marriage, who serves in your neighborhood, who stops going to work saying, what's in it for me? And starts walking into your workplace saying, I have Jesus in my life, what's in it for them? That's the whole purpose. That it would be a catalyst for something in our lives that would change us and shape us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ and spill into everything we do. Why? Because among us, it's different. The greatest are the ones who serve. And for some of us, listen, no, no guilt, no pressure, no shame. Many of us just didn't know. So laugh it off. We didn't know. Now we know. Now we know. Now very clearly, we can see that the calling to follow Jesus is a calling to pursue greatness with everything in us through the path of serving. And that's how Christians act. So now, you've seen the one-way sign. And you can't take it back. Like before 30 minutes ago, you were like, oh, this is great. Not worried about other people going, oh my God, I gotta swerve around your selfishness. But now, you know. You've seen the sign, and wherever you are spiritually, if you are living your life primarily for your own benefit, Instead of the benefit of others, you are driving the wrong way down the narrow road of Christianity. And now you know. So what are you going to do? And I have some suggestions. 
So first, if you're new to all of this, I have a very simple challenge for you. I don't want you to think about what you haven't done, what you haven't been willing to lean into to serve in your life so far. Here's all I want you to do this week. I want you to look at your life. I just want you to step back and observe your everyday life. Don't change anything. Just live your life. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Pay attention to how much of your life you spend needing to be served and how much of your life you spend serving. And when I say serving, I don't mean out of obligation or guilt or to impress someone or because you think it's the right thing to do. I mean, how much of your life do you spend joyfully, willingly laying down your life for the sake of others? You say, I'm not sure. Well, you might want to interview some of the people close to you. Hey, we've been friends a long time. How much of my life do you, would you say I spend serving other people? You know, maybe while you're driving is not the time to ask them. But just look at your life. I'm just challenging you. I'm not talking about you. Forget your past. This week, I want you just to pay attention. How much of your life is about taking and how much of it is about giving? pay attention and then be willing to entertain the possibility that God has a better plan for your life and then for some of you if God's working in your life here and you are serving if you're part of the J team then first of all I'm so proud of you for taking that step and I'm challenging you to not let it be limited to that but would you ask God to, to take those moments of serving and those environments in which you're making a difference in the lives of others, ask him to let that begin to flow into every area of your life so you start seeing your neighbors differently and your coworkers differently and your family differently. Come on, some of them are about to show up, right? Thanksgiving or Christmas, or we're about to have some kind of, I had someone in my J group this week said, I've got family members and they're back and forth, you know, vaccinated, not vaccinated, masks and not masks. And is that stuff important? Sure. But I think the enemy is trying to get us to stop serving each other. And that's when he wins. In fact, I'm going to say something really, really bold. And if you don't believe in Jesus yet, you can be just like, I don't know. He said this thing at the end. I don't buy it. But I'm going to say something really bold. If you're a Christian, if you're not, it's not for you. If you're a Christian, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not that you die. It's that you fail to live your life fully the way Jesus lived his on this earth. And so there's this thing happening. And so I'm just challenging you, don't make serving just something you do and then move on to what your life's really about. Make your life really about serving and laying down your life for others. For many of us, maybe your next step is to invite someone to come to At The Movies with you for the next four weeks. We're gonna swing open the front doors of our church, every location, and we're just gonna invite new people to come, and so many of them are gonna come for you. For the next four weeks, what have you decided? I'm gonna, church is not about me for these next four weeks. It's not at all. Now God's gonna do things in your life, and 
Don't be like, well, church is not about me, so it won't come. That's not what I mean. But say, church is not about me, so I'm going to invite, I'm going to pray, and when I show up, the whole time I'm just going to be like, God, be touching people's lives right now. Be working in people's lives. I'm going to smile. I'm going to serve. Make it not about you. You'll be amazed at how God says, when you make what matters to me matter to you, I'll make sure what matters to you matter to me. Matters to me. So I'm challenging you today. Look at your life. How much of my life is about needing to be served? How much of it is about serving? The serving I am doing, is it an isolated thing or is it spreading into the rest of my life? And then for the next four weeks, would I be willing to partner with God? You can't do his work in this world without him. He won't do his work in this world without you. So would I be willing to partner with God? And wherever you are, remember how Jesus measures greatness. Listen, not by reputation earned, but by generosity embraced. Jesus measures greatness not by amount received, but by amount given. Jesus measures greatness not by this world's standards, but by your willingness to serve. How should a follower of Jesus act? Among us, it's different. The greatest are the ones who serve. Now you know. What are you going to do? If you would say, I'm, I'm open to allowing what I do with my life to start to align with what I know about Jesus, would you just shoot your hand up? Just hold it up high. I'm willing to allow what I do with my life to align with what I know pray for us. Father, we love you and honor you. God, you sent your son to save us. Jesus is the leader and Lord of our lives. No priority on this planet matters to us more than our relationship with you, God. We were lost. You found us. We were enslaved by sin. You rescued us. You did it through your body and blood, Jesus. And because you laid down your life for us, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to hold on to our lives. We don't have to cling to this world, grasp onto the things this world grasps onto. We can open our hands and give our lives away. And I pray you would help us do that. So many of us are, God. Encourage us today. Remind us why you came and why you sent us into this world. The greatest are the ones who serve. God, now we know. For some of you today, maybe you don't yet have a real relationship with God. You don't know Jesus in a real way. I want you to know that what Jesus experienced with his disciples, his friends on that night 2,000 years ago is still just as powerful and life-changing for you. When he said, I'm going to give my body, I'm going to pour out my blood to save you, bring you into a relationship with God. He was talking not just to those 12 disciples, but to you. And you can begin a real relationship with God when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you. You give him your life and you can know God. And if that's you today, I'm gonna lead us in prayer one more time. I want you just, everyone just open your heart up to God with me at every location. And if that's you, 
wherever you are, New Arm, Cocaston, online, if you need to begin a real relationship with God right where you are, whisper out a prayer of faith, something like this. Jesus, today I believe in you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again and bringing me here to this moment so you could save me. I trust in you. And if that's you, everyone around you stays focused on God. If you would say, I want to be included in that prayer, would you just lift your hand if you're in the room here in Newark and Hocasset, just lift your hand. Yeah, hold it up high. That's awesome. Online, let us know you're taking this step. And then everybody, will you help me? Come on, let's give Jesus all the praise and all the honor. Church, it is a joy every single weekend 